0: morning church scripture reading comes today from the book of philippians chapter 2 verses 12 to 13 therefore my beloved as you have always obeyed so now not only as in my presence but much more in my absence work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is god who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure this is the word of the lord If you haven't already, you can turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. We learned in Sunday school this morning that Gentiles eat pork chops. If you have a hard time remembering it, Gentiles eat pork chops. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we desire to be transformed by your word. To eat of it, to drink of it, to have it come dwell within us, God. It is through your precepts that we gain understanding, Father. We know that your your words are as sweet as honey in our mouths. So please, God, work in this time. Transform our hearts. Not, not just to... Not just to learn more about you, but God to, to long to dwell with you and to be transformed further and further into your image. And we just humbly, humbly ask that you would do that this very time. Amen. Well, who does what? Who does what? There's a common question, as we were living out our first couple of years of marriage, Rachel, a, a naive, innocent little girl, barely out of high school, uh, was somehow wed to a rancorous lot uh, such as myself. And at that time, it's Reformation Sunday, so at that time we I began... Uh, Learning more and more about the doctrines of grace. Uh, sitting under Kevin Bickley's preaching, that will certainly further you along in the doctrines of grace. And so I began to learn that I can do nothing. What can I do? I can do nothing. And so I love this doctrine so much that that's the beauty of Christian doctrine. You can apply it everywhere in your life, right? So I began to apply this this doctrines of grace everywhere much to Rachel's chagrin it said can you please can you help me with the dishes I my beloved I can do nothing I can do nothing but here but just please here's the hamper don't just throw it at the hamper maybe just put it in the hamper it's so close just like in the hamper help me out it's not that much just do it I love, I do not want to defy the finished work of Christ. I can do nothing. There is nothing I can do. Here, just, just go downstairs. Open up the dryer. I'll, I'll spell it out for you. Open up the dryer. Hold it in one hand. Use the other hand. Put it from the washer to the dryer. Close the door. And just hit a button. That, that's all you have to do. It's pretty easy. Here I stand. I can do no other, so help me God. See, you, you begin to see that the roles of who does what becomes very important. Not only in the fledgling years of a marriage, but um, also in your life. And we see this truth in, in, this, in this text as well. And if you get it wrong, quite frankly, you're going to have a stifling Christian life that's just carried along in its infancy. Never maturing, or uh, you won 't be a Christian as well I mean, it just won 't happen. you get it wrong, there are grave consequences so last week we began we we had job preaching the the crown jeweled verses as he noted out of the New Testament. And so we've begun to, to come down the mountain and to, to flesh this out. What does this begin to look like? And so we have our the main thrust of what we're going to have here. What Paul would have them to do is to work out the finished work of Christ. Beloved, work out the finished work of Christ. Wherever you are, whatever station you're in wherever you might be, hold this dear to your heart and work out the finished work of Christ. So we're going to look at the why, the what, and the how. So why? Why does Paul even... Why does he say this? How does this connect to what's going on before? And what? Okay, so why does he say it, not what? Well, what does it actually mean when he tells us to do this? What would he have us to do? And then finally... Okay, we know why he's saying it. We, we gather in what he's actually saying, but how do I go about this? That's what we're going to be looking at finally. So let's begin with the why. So if you want to understand your Bibles, my friends, uh, particularly the, the, these Pauline epistles, the general epistles, you must always be asking yourself, why does Paul write this? Why is he stating why is he saying this truth right after this truth? How are they how are they related? What's going on here? How do they fit together? And this is one of the downfalls to be honest of of just preaching through several verses at a time. And then you get the main idea of this sermon, and it's kind of encapsulated. The next week we move on to this sermon, another idea, and it's kind of encapsulated. So then we take that as into reading the text, and then we think these various verses are also not related, as the sermon week to week are not often related. And so then the consequence of this is that we begin scourging through the text, looking for pithy little statements or reading it as if it were the book of Proverbs. And we just see a little a little fun sentence there, and then we, we take that as our life verse for the week, and then we go on and find some other great idea later on. But we aren't really asking ourselves, why is he saying this out of all the things he could have said? Why is he saying this? Grammatically, as you're doing, um, working through that, and, and um, choice implies meaning. He could have said anything, but he said these specific words. So he chose these words to write down so that it's, there's a meaning behind why he picked these particular verses. So we must ask ourselves why. So we get to the first word. Therefore. And you begin then to go, What's he connecting? Why is he connecting these in this way? And it's the first time we encounter this word throughout the whole epistle. So what it does is it reaches back throughout the whole text, the immediate context more specifically, but since it's the first time the reader can infer, it goes all the way back up, all the way up to the top. So he says... So we could say, I'm sure that, that he who began a good work in you will bring about to completion in the day of Christ. Therefore, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Or you, I hold you in my heart. You are partakers of with me, of grace. Therefore, work out your own salvation with fear And trembling or he goes on. I I pray that your love may abound more and more. Therefore. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And so it reaches back, I would contend, it reaches back to the whole book going all the way up. But more specifically, right to these immediate verses that Joe was preaching on last week. This beautiful synopsis of of who Christ is and what he has done. This old hymn of the early church. Though he was in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped. Paul is writing. But he he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. What did he do? He humbled himself by coming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, Therefore, in light of all that Christ has done, in the light of all who He is, therefore, my beloved, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. See, who we are and what we do is directly tied to who Christ is and what He has done. We don't deviate. That's the Christian life, is that we walk in this path. For us to claim that we are followers of Christ and to do anything but to emulate Him in His obedience is foolishness. Either it mocks our faith or much, much worse, it mocks the one whom we claim to follow. Christ, Paul is saying, Christ, you see Him there. He's walking in full obedience. He emptied Himself. He's fully obedient to the Father, he humbled himself to the point of death and a humbling death on that. Therefore, my beloved, those whom I love, therefore, work out your salvation with fear and with trembling. So before moving forward, I just want you to see that that all that we are, all that we do is inherently tied into who Christ is and what He has done. And it goes on, therefore, my beloved, and he has this tender love for them. It's now in the early 60s, of the first century. And uh, he had planted this church maybe 10 years earlier on his first missionary journey. He goes, Or on his second missionary journey, he goes through again on his third missionary journey. And he separated with them, separated from them with, with hundreds of miles, but he's calling them and bringing them in close. He's going to give them a nice jab to the gut here pretty soon, but he pulls them in pretty close. And you can see that, if possible, this is kind of an aside, but if possible, my friends, never let your, be, your, your rebuke go beyond your friendship. I've done this and I've caused great damage to people in their walk in the faith. Being forceful when there wasn't the foundation of a friendship. You don't have to laugh out loud. (laughs) Being forceful when there wasn't the foundation of a friendship uh, to to build it upon. And so here is he's encouraging them, you know. "I, I I I want you to obey. I know you've always obeyed when I was around and, and Paul, they have this great love. Again, they've known each other for 10 years now. He's seen them grow in the faith. And they're spurred on and their admiration of him spurs on their obedience for him. But he's telling them, no, no, not just when I'm, not just when I'm here, but, but when I'm gone, you should be obeying all the much more because it's not because I'm here. It's not me that you're obeying whatsoever. So Paul knows that it's not, unlike most pastors, let's be honest, uh, Paul knows that it's, it's not about him. And thus, their obedience in the Lord is not predicated whatsoever either on his presence nor his absence. As, children, as, as parents with children, this is what you want. This is what Paul wants as well for this church. So then, what are they supposed to be doing here? Much more in his absence. And here we get to the crux of the issue, the crux of the matter here. And he tells them that they are to be working out their salvation. Are they not? With fear and with trembling. And we come to these verses and they are, there's two ditches on both sides. And we gotta keep out of them. One is to think that you have something to add to your salvation. That's the that over here. thinking you have something to add to your salvation. Then over here, you think that, that you have no responsibility then as well. So over here, we're, we're thinking that we have something to add. And then over here, we're thinking that we have nothing to do. These are two ditches. You've you got to stay out of them. So, we're over here, thinking we have something to add. Um, many of us, I've heard this th- throughout quite a bit, um, working with other denominations and doing missions and everything like that. People would latch onto this verse, will they not, as a means by which they're able to say that we can have something to add to our salvation. And they don't quite know how to delineate it. Either it's a, a little bit of us and a, a little bit of God or either a little a lot of God and just, just a little bit of us. But, um, according to Luther's own words in, in his writings to Erasmus, who's there going back and forth, you see this in bondage of will. This is the reason for the Reformation. As Luther is saying that we have nothing to add. Well, we have no, we, we no will, no be to go beyond our desire to sin. We have no will in and of ourselves, but to sin. And when we do this, my friends, this is why it's a dreadful thing. It's not just. Uh, Bad theology that people like to nitpick on. So what you're doing when this, when you say, it's, it's a whole lot of God and just a little bit of me, what you're doing is robbing God of His rightful glory. That He has chosen you out from before the foundation of the world and set you as this jewel and sanctified you and, and, and saved you to worship Him. Don't rob God of his glory it is entirely rooted in yourself in, in in his glory and in his work and so Paul is telling us to work work out our salvation work out our salvation he's not saying work for your salvation work up to your salvation or work into your salvation Remember that what he is doing is telling them to work out, look in the next verse, what God has already worked into us. God works it into us. We work it out of it. As God's not working into us, we have nothing to work out. Nothing whatsoever. So if we see this. It's, it's throughout the whole Bible. So God redeems his people out of Egypt and things are going well until... They come up to this Red Sea and there's sand over here and miles of sand over here and chariots in metal glistening in the sun behind them. And Moses tells the people in Exodus 14, Fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. And God delivers them and then they get on the other side and they begin. Moses sings this beautiful song in Exodus 15. He says, I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He, he alone, he alone, he is my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt Him. You're not going to praise Him. You're not going to exalt Him when you think, oh, well, God did quite a bit, but He couldn't have done it without me. No, no. It's entirely of God so that He can receive all of the rightful glory. Paul also writes this in in, uh, the Ephesians reference earlier that He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons. Apart from you, before I was born, yes, before I was born. Before the foundation of the world, absolutely. Isn't our God glorious? Paul also continues on in, in the Ephesians. That we were dead. You, you think you might have something to do with it? Okay, well, you were dead. How about that? You were dead in your trespasses and sin, but God, being rich in mercy, he has made us alive together with Christ. And He has raised us up and seated us with Him in the heavenly places. How? In Christ. Not in and ourselves, no. Through the work of Christ. So that in the coming ages... He might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us again in and through Jesus Christ. For by grace, here you get to it, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. Which is inherently what you're doing when you say, it's all out of God and just a little bit of me. Goes on. Second Timothy. I'm going to beat this so you don't fall into this ditch. He who saved us and called us to a holy calling. Sounds good. Can I do something with that? No, okay. Let me be really clear. Paul says, not because of our works. Well, why? Well, let me tell you, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave to us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. And then finally, these words on the cross. Tell, tell "I, It is finished. The work of Christ is finished. We contribute nothing to it. Well, Edwards does say the only thing that we... Uh, Contribute nothing to our salvation unless except the sin that is required the salvation to come about. You want to add something in? Yes, you you add you add sin. Congratulations. There you go. So we see this. Paul is telling us, work out your salvation. That what God has placed in you from before the ages, from before the time began. Work this out what God has placed in you. Don't don't work to your salvation. Don't work up to your salvation. No, work out the salvation that God has placed in you. Okay, so ditch one. We're not going to go in that ditch. Fantastic. Ditch number two. Hold on. This is one we fall into. Thinking that we have nothing to do. So you want, you want to put it in categorical terms. You have your justification over here. Of course, I cannot be justified except through Christ and Christ alone. But then you get over here. Sanctification. Don't conflate the two sanctification. We're operative in this. Don't think just because God has saved you that you would then come over here to your sanctification, to your responsibility and think that you have no responsibility. Did God do all the work? Absolutely. Are we responsible? Absolutely. So we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We know that it is complete, but yet we still participate in it. Again, we don't participate in this justification or that God's choosing us before the foundation of the world. But we do participate in this, in the sanctification over here. So right in the, go back to Ephesians. Right when Paul is saying it is by grace that we have been saved through faith. Not of our doing doing, it's a gift of God. Not the result of works, so that no one should boast. What's the next verse? For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Why? For good works. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. What God has prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. And then also in Second Peter chapter 1. He said that this divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and to godliness. Well, who's granted? Okay, well, God has all things that pertain to life and to godliness. He's he's given it to us that we can become partakers in the divine glory for this reason. Verse five, for this reason, because God has done all of this for this reason. Peter writes, make every effort To supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. So God has done it all. Yes, he has. But then do you know what you do? Peter would have us, Paul would have us keep striving Not striving for your salvation, but striving to work out the salvation that God has brought and placed into you. We sing this in our own hearts, don't we? Jesus paid it all. We breathe in again and we exhale it out. All to Him I owe. They can't be separated. Has God done all of the work? Absolutely. For His glory. Are we responsible? Absolutely. To work out our salvation with fear and with trembling. And so I hope you see that Paul has no category for Christianity that is not entirely dependent upon Jesus Christ. So one that's not entirely dependent upon Jesus Christ, two that does not seek to follow Him earnestly. Imagine the Israelites; so they get delivered out of out of Egypt, and they carried through desert with scorpions and snakes and heat, and and very little water, but just enough. And they get to the Jordan, and they think, "Oh, well, then there's nothing to do." And they cross the Jordan, and they don't clear the land. Imagine that. That is much of our own lives. Me growing up, before I became a Christian, I was baptized, grew up in a a wonderful Lutheran church. Uh, Baptized as an infant. And you think, I'm good. I'm fantastic. I could do all sorts of terrible, wretchedly God-dishonoring things. But hey, I was baptized. I don't remember it. I think there might be a picture maybe somewhere, but I do know that it was baptized. And so I'm good. Well, we're, 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 we're a Baptist church, so we, we the, the thing we fall into, oh, well, we, we just say, well, I said a prayer. I said a prayer when I was 14. I don't really know what it meant. It was just kind of a response to it. It was an emotional time in my life or it was a response. I went to camp, but I'm good. I'm good. Because I've done this, so I I don't have any more responsibility to carry this out whatsoever. But Paul is holding before us a Christian life that is entirely dependent upon God and His work and His love to be placed into us, but then entirely responsible to work it out with fear and with trembling. So we have this working it out with fear and trembling, and you begin to why why that, right? Well, look, okay, so look at the world around us. Look at those who the world wants to emulate. They're wealthy, they're well followed on the Instagrams, people love them, it's a thing. They're famous, and they they're, they have leisure; they can just do whatever they want, and this is what the world wants to follow. Well, yeah, gladly we'll follow them. Well, they've published so many, so much literature. They're famous. They're wonderful. I'll gladly follow them. No problem. But then, how do you begin to feel when you're told to follow and obey, not them, not the course of the world, not the prince of the power of the air? But you're called to follow the one who had it all, but he gave it up. Indeed, he, he was God, but and he emptied himself. Joe made a great point, that it's not so much what did he empty himself of, but what did he empty himself into? And he emptied himself into flesh. And here he is walking the path of obedience, and, and he humbled himself. And he humbled himself, so he's coming down from the throne room of God and he becomes pours himself, into, empties himself into the flesh and then he humbles himself to the point of death. But not only that, to death upon the cross. Utterly shameful. Yeah, go ahead and follow that. Well, how, how else are you going to do it? Are you going to do it with a carefree heart? Is that how you're going to follow this Savior? When that is the standard that's put before you? Well, we're going to do it with joy, obviously, but we're going to do it with fear and with trembling, for we know that He has called His own Son to walk in this path of obedience, and it led Him to death. This very Son, whom is His beloved Son, we should never be surprised nor turn away from the life that of obedience that God has called us to. This is a standard that's put out before us. And it's Paul is saying, okay, follow it. I'm not here. Much more in my absence. Go ahead and follow it. Work it out with fear and with trembling. And I know what you're thinking. I try and I try and I try. But I can't. Don't you realize that? Burned out. I can't do it. And you're exactly right. You can't. Go to the next verse. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So when you say, I can't do it, you're right, you can't. We must obey, absolutely, but can we do it on our own? Absolutely not. I've used another verse here from Colossians 1. Paul writes, at Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we might present everyone mature in Christ. This is Paul's desire for all of his ministerial work. For this, I toil, struggling. Here he is. Paul's the one toiling. Paul's the one struggling. How does he do it? With all of his God, the Father's energy that He has worked within me. So we toil and we struggle? Absolutely. But it is God who gives us the energy? Absolutely. So just think of it this way Emily's here and she's playing the violin, right? right. She plays it, she's the one playing, but it's the violin that's resonating out her music. We are the violin. And God is the one who makes it. He cuts down the tree. He cuts all the wood right. He polishes it. He's, he's got it glued together. He takes the little scroll at the end of the neck and it's beautifully shaped to show what a master craftsman he is. He gets the bridge all set. He puts the four strings in. And he gets it tuned. And he gets this bow and he makes it and it's not too stiff and it's not too flimsy it's just right he gets the hair and he rosins it all up and the song well the song is already written my friend is it not the work is already finished the song is already written it just must be played out and he pulls the violin up to his shoulder and he begins to play so beautifully. And is the violin the one playing? Yes. But what inherently is it doing? It can't do it on its own, right? We've never seen a violin play itself. That's never going to happen. But it is the job of the, of the violin to resonate the glory of its master. And that is what we are doing you, my friends, are in the hands of God. And your job is to simply resonate His glory. It is Him that will will it, and it is Him that will work it for His good pleasure. So what does this look like in your life? And to be honest, you know what? As the violin plays, every note is different. But when God draws the bow across the string of your life, your job is to obey and resonate the glory of God might be mountains and valleys, good times and bad, songs of joy and songs of sorrow. But whatever it is you keep playing for, you must unto His glory. Because if you don't, He'll look at it and you'll be cast aside. Not that you have become unfit, but you're displaying that you never were fit to be played. For us, Coming off of what Adam has said, for us it's been several miscarriages. Holding our daughter Emma as she breathes her last and crosses the Jordan into eternal rest. But what do you do? You work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Maybe for some of you, It's actually loving your wife. Work out your salvation with fear and with trembling. For some of you, it's going to be manning up and never looking at pornography again. And that is how you will work out your salvation. With fear and with trembling. Or it's just staying sober. And that will be the anthem of your life is the fact that, you know what? I'm sober today. God has willed it and he will work it for his good pleasure. For some of you, maybe it's finding a church and getting invested in sticking it out through the good and through the bad. And this is how you display God's work in your own life. You live out your life with full obedience to God, with fear and with trembling, my friends. And in doing so, you will be working out the finished work of Christ. Let us pray. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that we can look to you and turn to you and know that Jesus has paid it all. We don't have to strive, we don't have to struggle, God, for our own salvation. But God, let us never be so callous in heart. Let us never be so arrogant as to think that we have no responsibility. That we don't owe it all to your Son with every living breath that we have. So God, could you please work out this glorious salvation that you have placed in us for your glory and so the world around us can see how beautiful you are. God, I pray and we beg that our lives would never defame your work, The death of Your Son and Your glorious and holy perfection. God, let our lives not defame the finished work of Christ. But God, give us endurance and give us joy to live out that which You have placed in us. Amen.